0: Yale Podcast Network. Welcome to the Macmillan Report. I'm Marilyn Wilkshire, host, and our guest is Carolyn J. Dean, who is the Charles J. Style Professor of History and French at Yale. She is a historian of modern Europe with a focus on the 20th century, whose work explores the intersection of ideas and culture, most recently in the context of genocide. Professor Dean is the author of several books that focus on the historical and cultural representation of victims, most recently, Aversion and Erasure, The Fate of the Victim After the Holocaust, and The Fragility of Empathy After the Holocaust. She has also written extensively about gender and sexuality in France and on the intellectual history of French theory. Today, we'll talk with Professor Dean about her latest book, The Moral Witness, Trials and Testimony After Genocide. Welcome Professor
1: Dean. Thank you.
0: Let's start with an overview of your book. Tell us about it.
1: Well, it it, it was an attempt to try to understand the cultural meaning of genocide. When we think about genocide, we think about the legal meaning right, mm-hmm. the legal meeting, which was um, penned by uh, the Polish-Jewish lawyer, Rafael Lemkin, in 1943. Mm-hmm. He, um, he lost members of his own family, and he was in the United States, and he, and he developed this neologism, this term, to, to describe the specific... Crimes committed by the Nazis against the Jews, meaning the destruction, the attempted destruction of an entire people, mm-hmm. as well as their culture, which and that that was not a crime that had a name. W- wasn't that it hadn't happened, but it, it didn't have a name. Right. And I was really interested not so much in the, the in the legal history of genocide uh, since 1948, really, but in how we came to think about it as a crime. What kind of crime was it? Mm-hmm. What did people experience that? that distinguish genocide from, say, war, right, right, and the killing that goes on in a war.
0: Okay, so what, I I know you have done a lot of work on the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. For this book, what led you to write it, and, you know, what genocides are you
1: looking at? I'm I'm mainly looking at the Holocaust as a, and I'm interested in how it became a model kind of for other genocides in mm-hmm. the West. Now, it doesn't mean I'm not interested in saying it should be or shouldn't be. I'm just saying it is. And we should explore how it came to be so that ne- there is in the scholarly world, there's a discussion about the Holocaust as something that's been Americanized, globalized, packaged. And people that argue that are thinking about Schindler's List, movies that that discuss the Holocaust, the kind of way Hollywood has taken up the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. There were mini series uh, about the Holocaust. So it's become a I mean, people have talked about it, uh, have talked about it since the 1980s as a, it's become overly commercialized as an event. Whether that's true or not, uh, I'm not interested in that so much as I am in how it became a, if it's a global discourse, what does that mean, right, that it's right. global, if okay. that makes sense. Sure. Yeah.
0: So how did you do the research for the book?
1: Uh, well, I, I, I worked in French libraries. I, I was, I covered a lot of different, attitudes toward the Holocaust on the part of different kinds of people that mm-hmm. is I tried to figure out how its meaning changed over time and So I was worked in France in Germany, and I worked in in Italy a little bit And 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 then there were there was a lot of stuff in the United States as well mm-hmm. yeah.
0: Okay, so in looking at the timeline of the term genocide mm-hmm. um, Before the, the term was actually created um, up until today. How has it changed over time? And what are some of the things that you looked at to determine that?
1: Well, the most important thing, I suppose, it it was coined, as I said, in 1943. It was, it became part of what was called the Convention on Genocide in 1948, signed by many Western countries and others, but it wasn't a term in general use at all Mm -hmm. until the late 60s and 70s, and even then. So I, I think that it's important to remember that there, were, there are, I think, two phases in understanding, or three phases in understanding genocide. Uh, one is the memory of the concentration camps after World War II, mm-hmm. which essentially was, uh, the concentration camps were envisioned as labor camps in which many people died. Uh, And then after 1961 and the trial of Araf Eichmann, the Nazi minister for transport in Jerusalem, uh, his trial really created this image of the survivors and, and brought attention to the fact that millions of Jews died. Now, it's hard for us to imagine, but actually until the late 60s and 70s, People did not think of the Holocaust as a crime against Jews. Mm-hmm. It was considered as, to be a crime against humanity, really, right. um, and uh, and its victims were political resistance and civilians and, and others, but not Jews in particular. And after the 60s, the the so if the extermination camps, which were known about, obviously were seen as just sort of an extension of labor camps, right? They were seen as an extreme version of a labor camp. Mm -hmm. By the 1980s, death camps and concentration camps were seen as completely different things because death camps were where Jews were sent and labor camps were where others were sent. Mm -hmm. Jews too.
0: Okay, and then in the title of your book, Moral Witness, Mm -hmm. let's talk about that term and and what you mean by that.
1: Well, the witness, the witness, as as people may know, is a biblical term. Obviously, it it it, it um, comes from the Bible, as I said. And in fact, in the Holocaust Memor- Memorial Museum, the it's etched on the on the entry. Um, you are my witnesses. And um, so, what I was interested in is how this term, which has been used by abolitionist movements, it's used by evangelicals in a in its religious sense, uh, and it's used by secular political movements, and now people use it all the time to say bearing witness, to talk about our response to crimes, how we are morally responsible for seeing, testifying, reporting, etc., so that we can presumably use this testimony to stop genocide in the future, to stop these kinds of crimes.
0: Okay, and how, how do we imagine victims of genocide today?
1: Um, very differently. So the, after 1961 in the Eichmann trial in Jerusalem, we imagine, I, I, I think, the cultural imagination of the witness to genocide is a Holocaust survivor whose image was, uh, if you think of Elie Wiesel, I don't know, the Nobel Prize winner. Okay, um, yes. Uh, he, well, it's kind of a wizened, weary, wise person. Uh, this is not true. It's just, this is the image we have. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this came from the trial and the image of these people who had suffered uh, you know, unfathomable violence. Uh, and these people were, had a certain kind of quiet dignity, and they were considered to have developed wisdom from their experience. And now, with the proliferation of genocide, we, what we see is a very different image of people who are sort of completely downtrodden, to be pitied, mm-hmm. victims. Uh, who we must save. I think it's a very different image. Uh, and and that, that has changed with the proliferation, as I said, of mm-hmm. genocide. Yeah.
0: Okay. And then, so what are you hoping your readers take away from your book?
1: Hmm. I guess I I would like people to think about how things we take for granted, the word genocide, the events of genocide, are actually very complicated historical creations. They don't just come out, of they're not just self-evident things that we point to and say, oh, you know, this is a genocide. Words have to be coined, experiences have to be imagined Mm -hmm. and understood in certain ways, and they can change over time. So genocide means something very different. Uh, Even if it has one definition, it means different things culturally, and that will change again in the future.
0: Okay. So what are your next steps? What are you working on now?
1: Oh, now I'm working on a book about bystanders. And what does that mean? That means, sorry, that means um, that the category, usually people, uh, a very famous historian coined the word um, bystander to talk about victims, perpetrators, and bystanders as the three categories that we need to explore in order to understand mass violence. Mm-hmm. And, um, the bystander is the most difficult because it's clear who victims are, it's clear who perpetrators are, and then there are the rest of us, mm-hmm. right? Um, who are, can be by our inaction? Are we perpetrators? By our uh, uh, what is our moral responsibility to do something? Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the kind of judgment of bystanders has always been very complicated, and. And I think that, and it's a term that only really, our moral obligation to do something, it's itself very recent, the mm-hmm. idea that we should speak up, et cetera. So I think that, um, so I'm very interested in historically how this experience of bystanders is actually lived. What mm-hmm. is the lived experience of people uh, I'm um, working on occupied France in particular, France under the Nazis, from the perspective of victims.
0: Mm-hmm. So that must be um, somewhat difficult to get at from a research perspective. So, how yeah. are you doing that?
1: I'm looking at all the testimonies of, uh, we have the Fortunov archive here, which mm-hmm. is the archive for. Um, which was started here to take testimonies from survivors. And so we have just a wealth of information here. And I also am looking at, I've been working in Paris at the Shoah, the Memorial of the Shoah, where they hold archives of um, occupied France and Mm -hmm. and the kinds of uh, victims and their experiences. You can go through these, and there's a, a, a terrific amount of material, especially on Jewish resistance. I'm particularly interested in people who were hidden or people who were Jewish themselves but, and had to but were in hiding, so they had to manage their identities right. so to see, and you could so if, if they weren 't identifiable, you get a much clearer vision of how bystanders actually understand what 's happening because they 're not aware that the people that they 're working with or speaking with are themselves targets, and so they have to it's a much clearer perspective mm-hmm. on what they really think right, right and right. how they're acting.
0: Interesting. Well, we yeah. will look forward to seeing that. Um, thank you so much for being here with us today and sharing your work.
1: Thank you very much.
0: For more information about Professor Dean and her research, please visit our website at macmillanreport.yale.edu. Be sure to join us again for another episode of the MacMillan report made possible through funding from the Whitney and Betty MacMillan Center for International and Area Studies at Yale.